Big Gab, episode 103, for Monday, February 20th, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in crazy, wet Northern California, it's Paul Kent. I know. You've been having all that rain that you guys have been asking for for years, and now it might be a little too much, huh? It's too much. I mean, you got the dams are having problems. There's mudslides on the highways. It's pretty crazy here, and it's supposed to keep raining all week, so th- think good thoughts about us. I will. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking good thoughts, but they included you finally getting rain, and now I feel <laughs> like maybe I overdid it. got to be careful yeah, what we wish for. It's your fault. It's yeah, your fault. sorry. I, did, I really I had all the best intentions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I played a couple of uh, interesting gigs last week, Paul. Tell me. Yep. So after we did our our gig gab last Monday, as I mentioned, I was going to uh, do a rehearsal on Monday night and then the gig on Tuesday, Valentine's Day for uh, what was called Madhouse WitchCon, which was yet another one of these theater oriented trunk shows. So about the music, but but people doing either performance art or just performances uh, along with the music. And, and for the most part, they were singing their parts and, and all of that. But um because of the way it came together, uh, a it came together very very quickly as as these always do. They're they're just one off shows, so it's kind of like that bitter pill thing I did back in the fall. But this, these are one off shows, and uh, and so you kind of learn your parts and you rush in and you do it. And a lot of the instrumentation was tracked. We had a, a guitar player for for uh, one song, maybe two songs, uh, and then keys, bass, and drums, but. Other things, including guitar for many of the songs, was tracked. So uh, I had to play to a click. And I was, as you probably heard in last week's show, I was kind of nervous about playing to the click. As it turned out, the click wasn't a problem at all. Staying in time with it was fine. Um, I was able to get the mix I wanted in my ears and hear enough click. And uh, and I thank John Catrone, my first drum teacher, for you know, um, humbling me with the, uh, with the click decades ago. So uh. th- that part actually went fine. The band was able to follow me, um, even through some tempo changes and things like that, that, that were totally, totally fine where it got interesting. <laughs> and there were moments in the gig, the rehearsal actually went really well. The gig, um, we had a couple of moments where we started to drift more than I would have liked, but you know, we were able to course correct. The real issue was playing in, fo- in, in form. Like with the tracks, because if the singer gets off when in a normal live thing, you follow the singer. Sure. Yeah. No, no. The guitar player that's tracked, he's right. No matter what, he's right. You know, and we had uh, in rehearsal, we had more train wrecks than we did at the gig. We had one. uh, I mean, it wasn't a train wreck, but we had one moment in the gig where we. where the singer, I didn't think she was wrong. I was counting the form too, because I had really like meticulously charted a few of these things that really had to be. And, uh, and I felt like she came in right, but I also heard where the guitar was and it was a measure behind her. So thankfully the, uh, it was just a bass player, me, and then um, the, the woman playing guitar and, and singing. And, or I guess she wasn't playing guitar for that one. The guitar was tracked, right? So she was just singing. 
And uh, the bass player noticed it too. And so instead of, it was one of these tunes where, you know, we ended on a button with her last line of the song and he and I kind of, kind of looked at each other and gave each other a nod. And, uh, and I think at the moment, I hoped we both understood the same thing. And and we did, we just played one extra measure and we ended on a button with the guitar and everything was great. And nobody was wiser. I mean, there was a weird chord thing happening because she was singing over a chord that wasn't actually being played, you know, cause it was just the way the part was, but, right. uh, but you know, it was one, it was the last chorus of the tune and whatever it was, but yeah, that playing to a, a, an unwavering track is, is a little bit nuts. Cause if you get off, you know, you have a problem. It's also a very awkward thing to get back on because it takes you a while to kind of grok how off are you behind? Are you ahead? And you got to kind of you get kind of frozen in the moment, and then you got to kind of wait for that click, that that constant to kind of wash over you again. Well, it's it, but it wasn't it, the click. It feels like forever. I mean, the, I meant the form of the track. Like oh. the the click was fine. We were totally in sync with the click. It's just that in that moment, you know, she was singing a measure ahead. Of where the track was. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, oh. And we had other tunes where it certainly in rehearsal that happened. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. I got to like really buckle down on this. And okay, I get four clicks in before the song starts. Then, if, you know, like we played Ballroom Blitz and, and part of it was tracked. And this yep. is a song I know. I'd be happy to do it off the cuff with any band. But – I'm playing it with a band that recorded it, you know, two years ago, and I have to play that form. And uh, and so it doesn't just start with drums. It starts audibly to the audience just with drums. But I got to come in at the right time so that when the singer does his little rap, it ends with the guitar player coming in with the right thing at the right time and all the hits. It was interesting. <laughs> so what would you do? Uh, I charted it out. And I, you know, I put on the thing, okay, there's four clicks. Then I come in, you know, we play, I play nine measures and then the guitar comes in. It's like, sure enough, and you're, you know, beat three of measure eight. You're like, I hope I counted right. I hope I counted right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have no cue that this is about to happen. It's just like, and I guess you could, right? If I were building the tracks, I could put little breadcrumbs in on the, on the click, you know, version or the, the click channel. So that only I heard that, you know, just gave like a four, three, two, one, you know, and so you'd know, yeah. all right, here comes the chorus, here comes this. And certainly if I was, you know, if I was doing it regularly, I probably would do that just just because anything can happen that can distract you even for a split second. And then it's like, oh, crap, where am I? You know, so having those little breadcrumbs would, would probably actually be really helpful <laughs> now that I think about it. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was interesting. And and another piece of it that was interesting was these were mostly theater folk that were doing the singing and the, the performance art and that sort of thing. And um, and something just didn't feel right in Monday's rehearsal. And then my, my friend Amanda, who's theater folk, but I also play all these rock gigs with her. She did a song and it was later in the in the night. And uh, and at the rehearsal, it hit me because during that song. She was playing piano and singing. It was a Dresden Dolls tune and uh, she killed it. It was awesome. But, uh, but you know, she was conducting me because she's the, she was singing. She knew where she was in the form. We weren't playing to a track. And so, you know, she would, she would give me a head nod or, you know, we'll do this or whatever, you know, whatever needed to happen. It was just this very natural thing. And as I was driving home, I thought she's the only one that did that. 
I need everybody else to do that. Right. Because, right. right? You know, I, like you, if you're the leader of the, the it's kind of like, I, I really thought back to our all-star band experience where, you know, yeah, we had a band leader that sort of organized everything, but in the moment, whoever was singing the song was probably the one on stage that knew it best. So you're the leader. You tell us where to go. You give me a head nod at the end. And so well, I that's, sat, go ahead. that's the difference in that situation. You have to, the singer has to kind of take that mantle. Right. Right. But the problem is, is that especially like in the Ulster band, when the singer hears something behind them that he's not quite comfortable with that we talked about this before. Yeah. Everybody's mind goes to, all right, who's going where now? Right. And there's this brief moment of like, who will take the mantle? Right. And then, you know, if you look at the guy who you think is going to do it and he looks a little lost, then it's, Uh-oh. you know, yeah. So, well, you know, someone does it. It's often the drummer. Sure. Sure. Yes, it is. That's right. If it's a good, if it's a good, confident drummer, you know, he's the constant. And so he's the one who has to step up and, and right. you know, solve things. But um, I know in, in my band, so I, I, de- I demure, defer to the, the singer, let him solve his own problem. Where does yep. he want to go? With Where it? does he want to go? Right. So if he jumps to a bridge, if he, you know, take it to the bridge, if he wants to, uh, if he wants to jump to something, we'll go there. And everybody's kind of aware for that. But in the, in the total train wreck, which usually happens because people hear things that they don't expect to hear. Totally. Yep. Right. And in the total train wreck, you know, you know, the leader has to kind of emerge, but you're right. I mean, in those, in all situations, there has to be a leader. There has to be the, the bottom line, the bottom line. Well, and in, in this theater thing, I, and I totally understood it driving home because in it, in most like traditional theater gigs where you're putting on like a musical, like whatever, my fair lady or, you know, whatever, uh, there's a music director. That person's generally the piano player. They don't have to yep. be, but they are the liaison between the cast and the band. And that person drives the bus. Right. And we've talked about that. Well, in this, there was no music director, right? It, it was just like, okay, here's these collection of songs. And everybody was sort of asked to participate. So we're all showing up and we're doing our thing. And it generally in theater, you know, the, the cast doesn't communicate with the band members individually, unless it's part of some shtick or something. But, but in general, you know, it's, it's, there's a conduit and that conduit didn't exist. And for the most part, the band just follows, you know, the music director knows everybody's part. They've worked with them since day one. And so I got to rehearsal and we did, we had a rehearsal before the show on Tuesday. And I asked Brandon, who was sort of the the director, the guy, one of the guys, one of the two guys that pulled it all together. And I said, do you mind if I, I address the, you know, the, the cast about this? I said, I, I think we have a leader leadership issue in the middle of the tunes. He's like, no, totally. You're right. And so I did. I said to everybody, I said, look, if you're you, there is no music director. The first time any of us played these songs together was yesterday. Right. I said, but you've been rehearsing them. You know where you want to take them. You've got everything planned out. So if you're singing the song, you're the leader. And the thing is, unlike My Fair Lady, it's okay for you to look at the band. We're a rock band in this in this show that we're putting on. In fact, it would be good for you to interact with us. And it would be good because then we know you can give us a head nod when, you know, the song's about to end or whatever you want to do. But let's just be explicit about this. And everybody yeah. was like, oh, right. I didn't think <laughs> about that. I'm like, yeah, me neither until yesterday, you know. And then it it worked out great. And there were some moments in the gig where – you know, somebody extended an ending because they were doing something that involved the crowd or you know whatever. And we didn't as a band, we didn't have to worry. We just played along and we knew that she would, you know, give us that head nod when when the time came and it did. And we ended and everybody was together. And she came backstage afterwards. She's like, 
that works out great. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. We all knew what to expect. So yeah, defining who that leader is. And again, in a band situation, it often will be the same person, but it doesn't have to be. It could just be whoever's singing that tune, like you said. Yep. Yeah. Fun stuff. So it was an interesting what's, learning experience. You know, what's your, what's your next theater gig? Oh, I don't know, man. I think, uh, I I have a couple of them on the schedule. I forget which is first. I'm doing a thing called first date at UNH uh, at the university of New Hampshire here. That's just a one weekend deal. Uh, I have actually a couple of one weekend things and then bitter pill, which is that show that happened in the fall is happening again in sort of a different way. Uh I think in April for a one week weekend kind of run. And then I'm playing uh, for the high school musical. Uh, my uh, my daughter's got uh, one of the leads in the play, and I'm playing the drums, so we'll get to do a gig together. Very cool. Uh, yeah, which will be fun. You know, how often does that happen? The high school playing with your daughter? Oh, not often. Uh, and this will be the first time I've backed her up in a in a theater type environment for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's cool to be able to you know she does her thing and I'll do my thing and we'll get to do it together. And that's great. So it's my, it's my one of my least favorite musicals. It's uh. It's uh, Into the Woods. I, 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 it, and people are going to, if anybody cares about musicals that's listening, they'll hate me, but I hate Sondheim. I just, I, it's like <laughs> atonal crap to me. It's like, why did you form these chords the way they are? It doesn't make any sense. They, it sounds bad, but people really like it, which some people do. But, uh, but anyway, you know, I'll, and so I've, I always joked with, with Sky when, when I found out she was doing Into the Woods, I said, well, it's Sondheim, you know, I, I can't go see it. And uh, and then when they asked me to play the drums, I said, good news, kiddo. I'll be at your show because I don't have to go see it. I'm going to play it. So I'll uh, be able to go. <laughs> so um, any rock and roll in your future? Yeah. I played a rock gig on Friday night with Fling. How'd it go? Uh, it went well. Uh, it, sound was awful in this club, but I'm actually going to defer that conversation we, we, till next week because I think we've got uh, somebody coming around that, that might be able to add some a color to that. Sound guy. We need a sound guy talk and we need a a chick in the band talk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'll, I'm working I'll defer- on getting Mary Ellen. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, so I'll defer the, the, the sound talk, although I will bring up, you know, I, I mentioned that I uh, had sort of a forced upgrade from my ultimate ears, seven pros that I had for years to the new ultimate ears, 11s when I lost uh, an earpiece back in the fall. And now that I've done a few gigs with these UE 11s uh, and I noticed it on Friday night, I, there's something about the, you know, maybe the, the way they did the crossovers in this or more, there's more speakers, whatever it is, I am far more comfortable wearing both ears all night long than I ever have been. I always try to wear both, but, um, but I invariably during the gig will wind up dropping one out and then it usually stays out for longer than it should. Um, but I played most of the gig, uh, with both in. And even when I would take one out, it was like, no, it's actually better, you know, and I'd wind up putting it back in. Yeah, I just found more space and more air. And they're both both models were the ambient models, which let some of the stage wash in. So it's got about a 12 dB filter instead of a 25, but which is, I think, what you have right in yours. UE7s. Yeah, but you're the you have the ambience, right? Yeah. 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 So I thought it was 11 dB or something like that. Yeah, it's 11 or 12. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, but it. um, I, I really, I'm, 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 I didn't expect there to be a noticeable difference, but I'm, I'm actually hearing more, um, more of the, like a wider sonic range for sure. 
more high end and more low end out of them. Uh, um, they sound good. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased with, uh, with that upgrade. So I was going to ask, so we actually got this question on our, on our forum page, on yeah. our uh, community page, the additional drivers really can make that much of a difference. Cause they're crazy expensive, man. It's crazy expensive. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it does make a difference. Um, but it, you know, I would say this, they are not my favorite way to listen to music, right? Like the EQ pattern that I get out of the ultimate ear stuff. And this has been true for, you know, back to the UE fives. Um, it, it, I just don't, it's a, it's a little too, I don't know that sterile is the right word, but it, it just has a weirder EQ pattern, but it's not built to be, to, to be there for listening. It's built to be there for accentuating the things you need live on stage. Tell me again, does anybody else in your band use in-ears? Our, our uh, keyboard player does. Yeah. And does he mix himself? He does. Yep. Yeah. You have you know, to be able still, to mix yourself. Yeah. I, I guess, but as a front guy, it's really difficult to kind of break your train of thought of keeping the, keeping the songs going. And, and, and you know, I get stuck because um, yeah, it's, you know, one out of 10 times will be a great experience for me. Nine out of 10 times will be a, well, let's just say five out of 10 times will be a serviceable experience for me. And four out of 10 times will be a really difficult experience for me. And, you know, again, I, I, we, we, we spent an inordinate amount of time on in-ears on this show, but, but it's you an know, important thing, man. Yeah. Well, it is an important thing. And, and here's the deal. As the night goes on, the band plays louder in different degrees to what they're hearing and what their ear mm-hmm. fatigue is. Totally. And, you know, it goes South, you know, for me, it gets harder and harder as the night goes on. And I, I often wonder, should I just put my vocals in there? You know, the thing I most need to hear yeah, and play with one. Although I've had some bad ringing nights after, you know, playing with one for a while, you don't realize how loud you're getting it. It's bad. Yeah, no, it, it, and I find that if I am just playing with one, um, I will wind up turning the other, you know, that one up more than I would if I had two in, if, if that makes sense. Like the vol- the uh, overall volume is lower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it, um, it would be worth, I would say, experimenting with different earphones that you have. I mean, they need to be ceiling earphones, but uh, or or just experimenting with the EQ that you send to your ears uh, after, you know, after kind of what I've what I've experienced with these UE 11s. I, I find that I would want more more high end, but not not like more of the grading, you know, like like uh, 6K high end. Right. I mean, some of that is helpful to just, you know, kind of cut a few things through the mix. But what I really like is to hear the air, right? Like some of that, that, that like 10K um, makes a difference. And I can actually bring the volume lower when I do that. Yeah. So that may be part of it for you. And, it, you know, it's worth it's worth messing with, you know, with the EQ because you can, you know, you can tune the, I assume you've got, if you've got your own monitor channel, you can apply an EQ to it. No, most, I most do, but again, yeah. you're giving a, you're giving a technical logical answer yeah. to a situation that is generally chaos. So you start, <laughs> yes. you know, you start with in ears is that you put them in and you have a signal and can you hear yourself? Yes, yes, yes. And then you do a, um, a rough, um, uh, you know, a couple of balancing things to get things in there. Yeah. And then you play a song. But you're playing a song at, at kind of sound check levels before the adrenaline's going, before the room is loud, before, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I, I think if I was to put my finger on one thing, it's the changing nature of live sound. That is what the challenge is for semi-professional. Don't have a sound guy. Can't mix yourself. Right. 
you know, right. that, that's it. So, I mean, again, it's a, they're great when they're great. And they've, you know, changed my singing when great. Sure. But, but they're, it's not easy. And it takes a lot of babysitting. It does. I, you know, I think, though, what you're talking about and having experienced being on stage with the House Rockers a little bit, uh, I would definitely say you guys have a stage volume problem. Um, I'm not saying I have an easy answer you. for you. Yeah, yeah. Right. But but what I'm hearing from you is that your issues with your monitor mix are happening because of a stage volume war that's going on. And I mean, you know, every band goes through it. And I think there might, like, I think that's where, and it's hard to solve that problem, especially when you've got a band that, that's, you know, been together as long as yours and, and habits have been developed. Right. Very true. Uh, um, and, and I, you know, as a drummer, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it's really easy to get into the habit of playing at whatever, you know, intensity I feel is comfortable. Right. And uh, but but sometimes you kind of have to break that wall down. And in Fling, we're obsessive about it. I'm probably the most obsessive about our stage volume, despite the fact that I've got ears in and can just like, you know, block it out and do whatever I want. All right. Let me let me try this. Yeah. Have you ever been in a band that solved those bad habits? Guys get used to having to hear themselves or guys insist on hearing themselves. Mostly guys insist it's someone else's problem. Right. Have you ever seen a band solve their own state and, and learn to be better playing at a low, lower yeah. volume? I've, Fling I've never seen that. Fling is that band. Fling is that band. Without question. So you, yeah. Really? So you actually said, I don't care what you've done before. I don't care what you think you're comfortable with. We're going to we're going to get un, our, this under control. I don't you know, I think the all star band was kind of loud. And, you know, that was kind of yep. some semi professionals and some some not professionals and, and a, a very loose environment. Yep. But I, I either find that you either you either are a disciplined musician who's going to, you know, understand that this is part of the deal or you're not a disciplined musician. Well, see, with Fling, I, I was lucky because for the most part, I was the only gigging musician in this band when it started. Right. And I mean, these were guys that could play. They had all played gigs prior, but they were, you know, they had taken a little bit of time off, certainly from the gigging thing. I mean, they all kept playing or whatever. So when it came time to even in the rehearsal room, you know, getting it to sound good. It was like, all right, no, you've got to like turn your guitar down or you need to re EQ your guitar. It's like, you've got too much three K happening and it's, it's too, you know, it's, it's dominating the room. You got to turn it down. You got to get used to that. And we all, it's not just me, but I, it, it's probably fair to say that I would have led this charge, but, uh, but it's, it's not, it's not that the problem has been solved and we don't think about it. It's that the solution is in not, never stopping to, th- you know, don't ever stop thinking about it and, mm. and just be, the goal is, I mean, we all hit the stage with the same goal and that is so that the crowd can hear the vocals louder than everything else. Right. I mean that without question, that is the most important thing. And perhaps because of that, us on stage, we have exactly the same desire. We want to hear the vocals better than everything else. And so it, it just creates this thing, but it's not perfect. I mean, the other night, Mike's guitar was too loud on stage. And, uh, and so at the set break, we were like, well, what's going on? What's happening? And it was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I actually, um, my buddy Scott came and did sound and Scott's also a drummer. So he sat in for a tune and he, he kept saying to me, I, don't, I, I can turn Mike's guitar off or on in the mains. It doesn't matter. I'm like hearing the same thing in the room. Like, okay, so it's got to be something about the room and the way his guitar is. 
And I went out and I, you know, while they played a tune, I, I kind of messed around with the EQ on it. I was like, okay, he's got too much 3K. So I just went up to him and I'm like, yeah, man, it's like this room, the way it is, your sound's bouncing all over the place right there. Take some of that out. You can bring up some of the fatness while, you know, actually bringing your overall impact level down. And, uh, and that's what he did. But it, but it takes everybody sort of being the, the goal, having, having that shared goal of good sound out there and, mm-hmm. and, and as quiet a stage as is comfortable. We, we are a rock band. We like to play. We like to feel the way things, you know, feel, but it, you can do that while still keeping things, you know, I mean, it, the environment is the environment you're in. You have to, my, you have to, my experience is, well, that's true. The, the drums are the hardest thing. And like totally. I told you, my friend, my friend, Brad, who, you know, he's a, you know, he, he, he mixes Rush. He mixed Shania Twain. He mixed, um, um, uh, Queensryche, you know, a pro touring band. He does fun sure. house sound for, he said, it's always about the drums. Yep. And so there's a point at which you can get, you sure you can get the, you can get the amplified instruments, you know, you can turn the volume now, knob down, but there gets a point where the drums are the loudest thing you hear on stage. And that's frustrating for every rhythm musician Yep. to hear those cymbals ringing, to hear, you know, you know, giant snares, you know, snapping around and, and, um, yeah, it, it, I, I think it, it starts with the drums. To- I totally finding- agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as a drummer, though, you have to you can't just walk into the room that you've never been in before and expect. And, and this isn't just the drummer. Every single musician uh, has to have this conversation with themselves. But certainly as a drummer, I do. I walk in and I bring two or three snare drums to a gig. Right. And I bring different. I have basically two different cymbal setups. One that I mostly only use outdoors because they cut, you know, lots. And then I have like much darker symbols that, that, uh, that don't cut as much and are, are, you know, have a quicker decay and that sort of thing. And I mean, I can walk into a room and guess what I'm going to use. And most of the time I'm right, but I like hit things and listen. And it's like, Oh, that's the wrong snare drum for this room. Okay. Put it away. Oh. doesn't matter if I, if I, you know, quote unquote, like one drum better than the other, it's what do I like in this room right now? And, and, I, and I think you have to walk in with that mindset. Like, and again, it comes down to the, the entire band, the drummer included, being on board with this concept of it has to sound good out there. So what can I do here to make that happen? Sure. And it's, it's not easy. Not at all. Like it's, it, it's, well, it's easy, but you can't stop thinking about it. The bands that I've seen that have solved this make it look easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the drummer is just very comfortable playing with really light hands. Yep. And um, but you know, actually, I would say this: I don't know too many. That's the the, the bands that are successful at that. You know, I, I see mostly as wedding bands. I don't know that I've seen too many club bands that are really good at that. You know, and the bigger the stage, the worse the problem, right? The more spread out the band is on stage, the worse the problem. Yes. Um, Unless the band is used to being spread out, because a lot of times what will happen is when you get spread out, you actually do hear your bandmates less. Right. And therefore you feel naked. And so you feel like, oh, I got to turn myself up or I need to play louder. And I think a lot of that is what happened with the all star band Mm. to to me, too. I mean, to all of us. But we were playing on big stages, big, wide open, cavernous rooms. The sound was just weird. It didn't sound like a club in there, you know. 
And, uh, well, the last place that we played was yeah. a, an unusual place with that, you know, 30-foot, yeah. 40-foot ceilings. And <laughs> right. Yeah, it was, it was like playing outdoors, but with bad reflections. <laughs> <laughs> like all the bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, it, like I said, the band just, it has to be sort of ingrained in the band's DNA. Yeah. To, to just, and, and as a drummer, like mid-gig, I'll But that's my point. Myself. It has to be ingrained in the band's DNA. Yeah. And if it's not, can you ingrain it? I, I think that's a hard thing. I think those habits are, I mean, it's the right thing. So, I mean, right. you just hold that up to the light. It's, it's, it's what should happen. But, you know, I think you get to the place where, we, well, we've been getting by and, you know, it's all type of thing. And, and you know, every, and the problem is everybody thinks it's somebody else, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. But, it, and the thing is, if, if you've got, you know, somebody's going to be right about who it is. Yep. It, and, and and perhaps multiple people are right about who it is. It might not just be one person. True. That's, that's you know that's the issue. And then that's sort of that's sort of you just have to approach it like adults. Like okay, yeah, yeah I play too loud. You play too loud, and you play too loud. The fact that you guys play too loud doesn't change the fact that I play too loud. Right? It doesn't excuse it. It, it right. is all true. So let's change all of it. That's and it's true. not just play too loud. You want too much too loud in your monitors. Oh, yeah. If you Right, right, right. Well, yeah. And I mean, the, I guess the question is, and it, it's very different for every band, but, you know, can you can you keep the monitors, especially on smaller stages, as simple as possible? Yeah. Um, you know, can it just be vocals in the monitors? Like, is, do you have to have something else? And if the answer is yes, stop. Right. Like, what do you need? Is it that guitar? Well, would it make more sense if that guitar amp just, you know, got angled a little bit more toward you so that you're hearing enough of it? Like, and then sometimes that'll work and sometimes it won't. Sometimes you truly do need a little in the wedge. And do you have enough mixes so that by giving you more of that guitar, it doesn't give that guy over there more of it that now, you know, causes this issue. And and for the most part, these days with those digital boards, most people have enough mixes to sort of solve that. But yeah. Hey, I wanted to catch up on a couple of things. Yeah, so yeah. I have, um, so I'm doing this solo acoustic show. There's acoustic night of Springsteen stuff and it's coming up April 1st. So I started the process of, of marketing it and a kind of interesting side story. So the first thing I did was I went and sat down with a club owner to find out what he does. And we had a nice chat. Uh, and one of the things he does is he sells the tickets. So he does it on Eventbrite. Yep. Um, and I've been asking him for a ticket link and he's just taking his time getting me the ticket link. So I'm, I can't wait. So basically, I'm just going to push ahead and uh, and start the marketing. So I started. I created a little graphic of me playing. You know, ran through a filter. You know, pretty easy stuff that anybody could do. I mean, really, these these photo apps that are now on phones and on pads, you know, are, are so good. And a lot of them are not only filters, but they allow you to add some some text to it as well. So I just took a pretty decent picture of me, ran it through this kind of filter that made it look kind of sepia, kind of like an aged photograph, had the vibe that I wanted. Uh, added some text saying, you know, I'm doing this and here's the date um, and uh, more information coming. So I started that process last night, uh, bought a little bit of I know I've been like anti Facebook, but this is primarily going to be marketed through Facebook. Sure. So I got to get the awareness out there. So I just put it out there. Um, you know, the goal is 120 people to come. I get as part of my deal with the guy, I get seven um, guest passes. Um, I may have, I'm still trying to decide on a couple of sit-ins for this, but I'm, you know, I'm approaching it as a show. So I've been writing, you know, kind of like introductory, I, you know, I, I took, I, 
have about 35 songs. I probably only need about 24 songs. So I, I have some extra songs. Um, I, what I did was, so it's, it's a night of Springsteen acoustic music. Right. Okay. And I took, I took the 35 songs, uh, and I kind of grouped them in kind of eight or nine, um, subjects, you know, like early Bruce, you know, Bruce, Bruce talking about, uh, place, you know, where he's from, um, songs about that are socially conscious. So I have these eight sections and then I've kind of written, um, some text, you know, probably, about two to three minutes um, for each to introduce each section of the show. And that's the approach to the show. So I, you know, I'll have, I'll, I'll end up performing about 24 songs, but I'll have about 30 songs prepared. And the nice thing is, you know, this is songs I've been playing my whole life. So, it, you know, there is some shining to do, but um, it's coming together really, really nicely. So the first wave of uh, promotion, which is just awareness is going out. Um, I'm going to give the, the venue owner another couple days to, to um, give me a ticket thing. Otherwise I'm just going to tell people, give me money and I'll get you tickets. It's not oh, how I want it. Right. Well, I didn't want to do it that way. It's not the most professional thing to do, but um, again, I can't wait for this. And so, um, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to keep moving. So, you know, part of the lesson here is what do you do with a, with a club owner who drag, who's dragging his feet. And so you, you just, you got to get done what you got to get done. Is kind of my approach to it. And so yeah, you uh, just start moving out. on it and, and, and keep, you know, friendly, friendly reminders. Yeah. Like, hey, I've got people that actually want to buy tickets. And then now I actually have money from those people for those tickets and I've given them tickets. So let's get this moving. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, you know, the production of the show is of interest. You know, I don't know much about lights. Do you know much about lights? Only that it's really important to do them correctly. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I know what I like when I see it Me from, too. from the crowd. But I, I have learned that I don't know how to achieve that in every way. Right. So I can communicate in kind of layman's terms about sound to a sound guy, but I don't know what I, why I like what I like. So, you know, what I would do is sit down. I think I'm going to call the local children's theater and see if they, you know, who their pool of lighting guys are and if I can hire a guy for the night. And because they have lights at this venue. Yeah. And uh, and just say, you know, here's a moody song. Here's a here's a, you know, a a high energy song and see if we can kind of talk through, you know, my interpretation of the music and have him tell me what he would do with the lights on it. And it seems to me the most reasonable way to go about, you know, talking about lights. Right. Dude, that I I think that's like the most enlightened way to go. And I, I, I actually didn't mean that as a pun. I like that's the right way to approach it. Not thinking that. You can somehow, you know, like will yourself into being an expert about this without without that. Right. Eventually, you'll start to learn what you what technically works to give you the effect that you like. But until you start working with someone that's already figured that out, that's there's like that's a it's that's the best path to take. I think I I do know when amateur bands or semi-professional bands do their own lighting. There's a lot of really cheesy effects. You know, I'm not anything for strobes, but I'm also not anything on, you know, bathing the band in green light, you know, or, or something like that. It just, yeah. it looks really cheesy. I mean, I like very simple lighting and very, you know, lighting that definitely matches the mood of what we're trying to do. Sure. That, that's the goal. Yeah, of course. Of course. But, yeah. Yeah. I will but, say this, that I, I, what I do know that I don't know is it's, you need to have lights aiming from both the front of yeah. the stage and the back of the stage. Cause you need, 
Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. You're doing an acoustic gig, so I don't know how much of that light blindness effect you want to have on your crowd. But certainly for a rock gig, having lights at the back of the stage aiming out uh, is 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 one thing that's necessary. But if that's all you have, then you have a band full of silhouettes. So yep. you need something from the front to to offset that and and keep the band lit, but in a in a in a textural way. And uh, and that's as much as I know that I don't know. And that's where I'd say, yes. What do you think? <laughs> well, it seems like lights can be one of those things that can add. Uh, and, you know, light rigs are not that expensive now. No, but but um, and easy to carry around, which is even more important than price. Yes, especially now with the, with the, uh, the LED lights, yeah. you know, they're smaller, they're compact, they don't get that hot. So, you know, it does seem like the type of thing, if you knew what you were doing, again, the problem I find with most bands who self-light is they, you know, click a couple of built-in switches and, and they strobe, yeah. you know, or, they, you know, it doesn't really match the music. It's just, it's just light for light's sake, which seems to be uh, counterproductive. It, it just seems to have an amateurish feel to it. Yep. But, um, um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm very curious about lights and I'd like to talk to someone and I'd like, I would like to make this show with a limited amount of funds and a limited amount of time that I have to actually polish it. I'd like it to be different than just going seeing a band in a restaurant, you know, acoustic guy sitting in the corner. Yeah. I'd like it to feel, you know, special for the people who are coming to, to check it out. And so, you know, I'm looking, I'm trying to turn over all those rocks to see what are the, what more things can I do? So like I said, I've got a plan for the marketing. I've got a plan for, you know, the show. Um, I've been writing and rewriting and, and rewriting my rewriting on, on the, the little introductory segments. So they're not too long. They're impactful. They're not, they're not like I'm trying to lead people through a trivia contest of, you know, of Springsteen <laughs> trivia, you know, right, which that is could that's be fun, the easy though. thing to do, right, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that that's the low hanging fruit. Did you know that Definitely. type of thing? Yeah. But I think I, what, what I want to do is like, why am I doing this? Why did it? Why is this music shaped my view of music and of the world, as a matter of fact? And just try and be a little bit thoughtful about it without being too overbearing about I was gonna it. I going to say, yeah, but you got to the the the. The, I'm not preaching. The, right. The extent of the, 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 the extreme of that could be. It's all about me and, and not interesting at all to anybody else here. Right. So you've got to find But it, I actually wouldn't worry about you doing that because you've spent enough time on stage and speaking to people like you get where you have to find like the nugget and then relate that in a universal way. Yeah. That's the way. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of struck that the whole um, creativity of putting this thing together is really enjoyable. Um, you know, I want it to go well. I have to I, I, I want I want this to be a little bit of a. And I say this with humility, a little bit of a breakout thing, because, again, you yeah. can come see me at a winery and just, you know, walk up and and uh, and, you know, see what I do. You can come see Acoustic Madness in a bar and a winery. And it's always going to be good music. That's never the case. But it's it's a you know, it's a winery or a bar it's or just settings, a set right? of tunes. That's right. This, this is a show yeah. and, I'm, and I'm trying to make it a show. I And I like that concept. I feel like that's where a lot of the entertainment value is today. And it, it resonates with people like people will be more likely to go out to see what they perceive is going to be a show as opposed to, oh, yeah, some band is playing or, oh, yeah, my friend Paul is playing or my friend Dave's playing, you know, whatever that is. It's like, no, I like this is going to. This is going to be something different. It's what I like yeah. about these madhouse things. I'd love to get the freaking tracks out of the way for them. But other, you know, but other than that, it's fun because it's like I'm a part of this thing that's that's more than just us playing some songs. But it's also good because it all feeds into the other things. So, of course, you know, yeah. the, the run of the mill Wednesday night at the local tavern 
has its place. You know, it, it's a it's a familiar setting for people and you mm-hmm. sing along and those types of things. Right. But, you know, I'm charging a little bit more than a typical cover charge, you know, for people to come see this 15 bucks. And um, and uh, yeah, but it's got to be worth 15 bucks is the thing. That's so the thing. A, right. a lot of thinking about it. So I just like, you know, it, this it's like this um, dare to be great. Dare, dare to, you know, take take your craft one more step forward, you know, do something different because they can come see me at Charlie's once a month and, you know, pay the cover and see the house rockers. And I love it. And, you know, we will be doing that as long as I can hold a guitar. That's an awesome thing. But that, because it's a regular thing and because it's a common thing, there's a certain amount of expectations and a certain amount of um, anticipation. So how do you create something special for people? You know, original music, you know, original, original musicians actually probably have to think about this quite a bit yep. because they don't have the cover clubs that, you know, you and I have right. in order to apply those crafts. So, you know, what makes for um, a fantastic experience for people? And, and again, if you're an original musician, you're telling a story through the original music that you've written. I'm still kind of channeling covered material albeit in kind of a niche way. Well, that that's um, the thing is, is finding your niche for an original band. Theoretically, your niche is sort of predefined. Although I would challenge anybody that says they don't have to think about that to really think about it. Cause you could do even more with it, but, but yeah, as a cover band, you, you have to differentiate yourself and niche is the way, right? Yep. I mean, that, that's the easy way. I guess there's any way. I mean, you could go on stage naked. You could be the naked guitar player guy. <laughs> I don't know. You might you might not get 15 bucks for that. But career, you, career ending. Yeah. Decision. Hey, you never know. It might be one hundred and fifty per person. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it depends on uh, how you market yourself. But yeah. but yeah, that's right. That's the thing. Yeah. And then one more quick update I wanted to give you. So yeah, I'm man. working on this um, this benefit um, uh, recording of music. Again, I, I was going to say CD. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if anyone even would. What do you think? Would you press CDs of, of anything you did now? No. I mean, maybe, you know, there there is something to be said for having a tangible item to give someone. Why not a card? Why not just a like. A- but that's actually what we've been doing. And, and through CD Baby, we um we can we've created cards that we can give and they it gives people a free Download so we can either give them the card or we could sell them the card, whatever, you know, however that works. But yeah, yeah, that's that's the way um, that's the that's the only way. Yeah, because most people don't have CD players anymore. It's not I I don't think they do. Yeah. And even if you do, you're like, how do I shove this CD into my phone? Like, that's what people (laughs) listen to music on. So you've got to give them that thing. and, And really, the trick is just to get it distributed so it's on spotify and apple music and amazon yeah. and then you don't have to think about it yeah yeah so anyway i'm uh, i recorded the two acoustic songs i was really happy with them they came together pretty well i talked about it last week you know i had that kind of vocal coaching you know producing um influence. Yeah. So, so tom's working with me again tom's actually going to play so tonight we're going to do the band songs so we're going to start at 5 p.m drums come at five get set up get some drum sounds uh, the rest of the guys start coming in about seven and we're going to start recording and we're going to go, you know, as long as it takes to get these two songs tracked because we don't have infinite amount of time or patience to get it done. So, so are you doing this live? I mean, that, uh, are, are you recording everyone all at once or are you going to layer these tracks? Uh, yes. Awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll start drums in one room, keyboards and bass in the control room. Yep. Um, uh, there's only one other room and that's where the guitar me is going to go. And then there's another guitar that that'll go. And I'm not exactly sure what the plan is for him. Sure. Um, but there is a plan. So we're going to, we're going to track live and then be subject to me tracking any of those types of things. Yeah. And then there's some overdubs and, you know, we're doing the chime. We're doing two songs. We're doing chimes of freedom 
and we're kind of taking this version that that Springsteen did when he was on the um, on the Amnesty International tour in the late '80s. And it was funny because Nick Nick is going to play on it. Nick from Dallas Rock is going to play keyboards on this. Okay. And he called me. He goes, you know, that sound is really. 80s you know is that what you want i said no no no. i want you to have fun with it but my direction to you is make it big like that so so you know in the e street band there's two keyboards right. and they were using i think he said it's a ds7 is what the, the main um, keyboard was and then there's like an electric glock which is a very signature sound i don't want to sound that much like we're ripping that off right the feel of it is what i'm going for and you know the i, I just love the power of how they how they perform it but yeah i think i want to see i don't know enough about about I, my, my studio chops are nil to non-existent. And so what I know is I want to have something feel really big when you listen to it. Not like a lot of, you know, a lot of things to me sound kind of sterile, you know, that, that bands record. And we talked about this. Sometimes it's the playing. Sometimes it's the recording approach, you know, but getting getting that kind of feeling of, of bigness that the song is talking about. That's what I'm really going to push Chris Beveridge, the producer, you yep. know, the guy who owns the studio to get it for. So if we're going to and, and the thing I told him. My favorite recorded album of all time is Damn the Torpedoes. That sound, the sound of the drums, the sound of the, of the guitars. Dude, you, you, in order to get the sound of those drums, though, you need to take that mixer that Dave Grohl has. And That's exactly what Chris said. Rebuilds, rebuild Sound City and go That's put the exactly drums in that Chris room. Said. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's about the sound of the drums. You know, you need you need the right room. You need the right console and you need probably analog tape. So so we can do analog tape. That's not that's not out of the question. It's a pain and in the neck, though. Chris said that there is some um, he can come close. Yes. With, with some of the outboard. Yep. Well, more the outboard. Um, oh, preamps. Yeah. So like some tube preamps and stuff like right. that. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Even when so I was that, when I was in Abbey Road this summer and we were talking to Giles because there were there was a um, uh, like a, you know, a two inch tape deck or something in one of the studios. Uh-huh. And, and I said, I said, do you use this anymore? He's like, no, no, we don't really use it. And I said, yeah. I said, the only thing I've noticed it with, with is drums. And he stopped. He's like, oh, actually for drums, we, we do still use it. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I kind of figured. Right. Yeah. So it's funny that you react that way because I was talking about that Sound City deck, which is, an, <laughs> ne- is it a Neve deck? It's a, a Neve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that, that was exactly what Chris said. So great minds think alike. So anyway, tonight, you know, we start that. We're going to, you know, at least get the basic checks down. And, um, you know, then another time for overdubs and vocals, but I'm really looking forward to it. And so that'll be a a topic of a couple more shows is, you know, how this went and then how that whole CD baby process goes. So you've used CD baby for the fling original material. Yeah, I have. And end to end, end to end. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, yes. End to end. That's right. Yeah. So one place they'll take care of getting you onto the, um, the digital services. Yeah. And they will print CDs if you want. They probably will will print, you know. They'll print vinyl art, if you art, want it, too. Artworks. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had them print anything other than those little cards you just mentioned. But, yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. Interesting. It's crazy stuff. All right. Well, have so, fun with this. So, I have one last question just to uh-huh. kind of bring our show full circle. Are you recording with a click tonight in the studio? Um, I don't know. Probably. So, the drummer has some experience. The drummer's is terrific drummer mark danley cool. um, who played in nick's um Blistini's band yeah. um, he's very good and he's very studied um and i would imagine he will i don't have a problem playing to the click i don't think <laughs> but, <laughs> but um 
fair point. Yeah. Right. But you know, the, I follow the drummer and you know, the, the drummer feels, well, we'll I'll, I'll report back. How's that? Yeah, no, it, I, I get it because I, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with a click, but I don't mandate it. And if the situation is, is such, especially when you're recording like what you're doing tonight, essentially a live band, even though you're, you know, isolating all the instruments, uh, sometimes if the band isn't used to playing with a click, it's better to free the drummer up and just let things live and breathe. As long as it's not like too crazy. You well, know. I imagine we're going to find out quickly. He'll you say, will let's find try out. And do it to, yeah. yeah in, in one, in one rehearsal take. Right? Generally one take is, is, is what you'll know. Like, is this, is it worth fighting? Is there a battle and is it worth fighting it? Yep. 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 Cool. Well, I can't wait to hear, man. All right. Have all right, folks. Well, that's uh, that's all we got for this week. And so we'll uh, we will see you next week. Always be performing. Visit us on Facebook. GigGabPodcast.com slash Facebook. See you, Dave. See you, Paul. Have fun, man. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Thanks.